All right, well, welcome church. So good to be with all of you in the room and everybody joining us online as we continue in our series, Justified People. Through the summer, we've been looking at Old Testament individuals who by a move of God, went from being just a person, perhaps in a sickness or illness, perhaps in a, a bad circumstance, or uh, perhaps broken just in their bad choices and their sin. And by the work and the grace of God, they were justified and brought into a new position in life. Now the struggle for every single one of us, we got some things in our life that make us feel just, and then you can fill in the blank, right? I'm just my past. I'm just what they believe about me. I'm just what they say about me. I'm just what I've been told. I'm just my position in life. I'm just what I did or what I didn't do. I'm just what happened to me. There's so many different ways that we fill in the blank where we say, I'm just this. And we need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel that we have a God who loves us so much and we cannot take this lightly. We have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son into the world because he loved the world, because he loves you and me that I don't have to be just whatever. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He has brought everything that I need to not be just whatever, but I'm justified. And I'm made new. And we need to live in that reality and we need to embrace it and we need to let it impact every part of our lives. So I wanna ask you this morning, what is it for you that makes you feel just and then fill in the blank? I think for a lot of us, one of the things it might be is that we've got a problem, a pain or a predicament that diminishes our position. And what we need to do is to be able to bring that problem, that pain or that predicament to God and let God do a redeeming work in it to make us something new. It reminds me of a, a trip I took when I was a kid. One of our family vacations one summer, we went up to the mountains. And I remember we were, we were going up in the mountains. You know how those mountain roads are. You know, they wind back and forth. And we went up around a hill and we saw these cars just backed up on the side of the road. And it wasn't one of those places where you got this amazing view. It wasn't that kind of thing. Like there was really seemingly no reason for all these cars to be backed up. And so we kind of, we pull in behind them and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And we see across the road, there's this crowd of people, like 30 or 40 people, just all clumped together over on the side of the woods on the side of the road. And we couldn't really see what was going on. So my dad gets out and he's like, you gotta stay in the car. And I'm like 10 years old and just like bursting to get out of the car and see what's going on. And so like my face is like plastered to the window. I'm trying to figure out like what in the world is happening. And I finally, there's a little break in the crowd and I can see three little bear cubs. All right, oh, like, isn't that cute? Just there on the, the side of the road and everybody's taking pictures. And as the moments went by, like they were crowding in closer and closer and closer on these bear cubs, like where they had nowhere to go. And then all of a sudden, like a switch went off, like everybody just scattered. 
And you know what happened, right? Uh, where there's baby bears, there's mama bear. And those little bears were not scared for a moment. Why? Because they knew mama bear was right there with them. And I think we would do well in the midst of being surrounded by our problems, our pain, our predicaments to know that God is right there with us. And we don't have to fear at any moment. So let me ask you again, what, what is your problem, your pain, your predicament right now that has you captured in fear or worry or anxiety where the position of your life you've allowed to be diminished and you're saying, well, I'm just fill in the blank. So we're going to look at a guy named Naaman today. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to see how God is going to move in his life to redeem a, an illness, a pain that he has in his life, a big problem that he has in his life. But God wants to do more than just deal with that problem. God wants to deal with Naaman's heart. And before we get into the story that we're going to look at in the text, I want to begin in the first few verses of 2 Kings 5. And I want us to realize that God is moving in Naaman's life, and this is critical, before Naaman is prepared and without Naaman deserving it. Before he was prepared and without him deserving it. So Naaman... He serves the king of Aram. He's not a Hebrew. He's not of Israel. He is serving the king of Aram. He's the commander of the king's army. And we're told that he does a really good job at what he does. But if you look closely at the text, again, God moving in his life before he's prepared without him deserving. The reason that he's good at what he does is because God has given him his favor. God is allowing him to do a good job. God has brought victory for this commander of the army named Naaman. And one of the groups of people that they had victory over were the Israelites. And we're told that there were these bands of warriors, of raiders who were going out into the lands that they would conquer and they would bring back captives as slaves. And one of the captives, one of the slaves that they brought back was a little girl and perhaps she was ripped away from her family. Perhaps her parents died in war. Perhaps her parents were murdered as they were bringing her out of her home. But for whatever reason, whatever the case, she was brought out of her home and she became a slave, a servant, but not to, to just anybody. She ends up becoming a servant of the wife of Naaman. And she's got every reason in the world to be angry, to, to want to fight back, to want to get revenge. But rather than getting revenge, she looks at the predicament, the problem, the pain of Naaman. He's got the skin disease. And rather than inflicting revenge, she gives grace and she says, hey, I have a God who I believe is the one true God. And he's got a prophet named Elisha. If you will go see Elisha, I know my God can heal you. And we're going to see how God moves through the faithfulness. If you want to look at the hero of the story, I mean, obviously it's God, but the human hero of the story, it's not really Elisha. It's certainly not Naaman. The hero of the story is the little girl. Because in this moment of, of oppression, she gives a gift of grace. Now, we're going to see something here and we need to follow what God leads in Naaman's life. But it's not just because this is a good example. 
Right, this isn't just like some story made up or a metaphor. Embedded in this historical account is the gospel of Jesus. One of the things I long for us as a church as we read through scripture to see the gospel of Jesus embedded in all of it from Genesis to Revelation. When I mean, think about it, in the story, you have a child of Israel leaving their home, becoming a servant, rather than getting revenge, looks at the one who is giving oppression and offers them grace, leading them to healing. What I love about scripture in the New Testament, the word that is translated as healing is also translated as the word salvation. And in our life, we have a God who gave his child, who was a child of Israel, who came into a broken world that rejected him, that oppressed, that walked away. And rather than getting revenge, he gave grace that we might have healing and salvation. This is why we hold on to the story. It's not just a good example. It is God's way of moving in our life through Jesus. And Naaman's gonna get an opportunity to experience healing. But before that happens, He's got a real big problem, a wall, and it's not the skin disease. He's got another problem that God needs to deal with, and it's the problem of pride. And before God deals with the problem of his skin disease, God needs to deal with the problem of his pride. Because of the problem of pride, Naaman almost missed the grace and the gift that God wanted to give into his life. All right, so let's take a look. 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done that? How much more then? When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. From here on out, Naaman said, I am all in on Yahweh the one and only true God of all the world. Now God has a plan to get a hold of Naaman's heart, but before he can get a hold of Naaman's heart, 
God has to get rid of the pride that's preventing Naaman from being open to what God wants to do. And to do that, God teaches Naaman three lessons, three truths, inviting and pulling and urging Naaman to embrace the grace of God that he wants to give to him and also he wants to move through him to the relationships he has around him. So let's take a look. Here's the first lesson that God teaches him is that power is in the presence and not just the process. In verse 10, this is what we're told. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Simple as that. Just go over to the Jordan and just dip yourself seven times. That's all you have to do. Simple, easy, just trust and obey. And Elisha wasn't expecting this, right? Elisha was expecting like some big to do. He's gonna come out and he's gonna say like this magic spell and he's gonna wave his hand around and he's gonna do a magic dance and wear a fancy hat or something. And like I was expecting like all this, you know, I gotta go drink this potion or go do this process or whatever. And Elisha was taken, or Naaman was taken back by the simplicity of what Elisha asked him to do. Why? Because Naaman was operating on the worldview that you and I often operate on, where we believe that if there's going to be a major change, then there has to be a major process. If I'm going to change my life, then it must be some grand thing that I'm supposed to do, some powerful, amazing thing that only a few people can do. And that's why those only a few people have these big lives. Well, what the gospel teaches us and what really, if you pay attention, what life teaches us is that big change doesn't come through a big process. Big change in our lives comes through simple and consistent obedience to the small things. Big change comes in our life when we're willing to do every day what most people only do some days. Where we're willing to do consistently what most people only do sparingly. And that was the first lesson that Elisha had to understand. It wasn't about what he could do. The pride told him that it was about him and what he brought to the table and what he could make happen. And what Elisha was trying to teach him, what God was trying to teach him was that it wasn't about the process and what you do and making it happen and being some special person. The power was in the presence of God. It wasn't even about washing in the Jordan. It was about being obedient to God's call because the power was in the presence of God. And what God gave was nothing he deserved, nothing was prepared for. It was just a gift. It was grace. It was undeserved. And that's what God gives to us. That's the whole point, is that God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. That Jesus came to do what we couldn't do. And that God is initiating the healing. God is initiating the saving. And he's giving his gift of grace, undeserved. We don't earn it. We don't make it happen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a response. Of course we have a response. It's embedded in the call of faith. If I trust you, then I'm going to do what you say. And and that was what Naaman was being invited into. Trust the gift. Trust the grace. Follow through. But we got to be willing to receive it. And, And it's just a simple call of obedience. Listen, not understanding. 
God never says, I'll save you if you understand everything. I'll save you if you know all the pieces. I'll save you if you know all the steps. God says, his word says, we're saved when we have faith. And that's the only call. But that faith will lead us to follow after God. But what's gonna prevent us from doing that? The same thing that prevented Naaman at the beginning at least from trusting God's call was the pride in his heart. And so here's the second lesson that God taught Naaman, he'll teach us is that pride can prevent the blessing. Naaman almost missed the blessing that God wanted to give him. Why? Because of the pride. So look at the story. So in verses 11 through 13, Naaman went away angry. Why? I thought he would surely come out. Elisha didn't even come out to see me. Like I'm this big commander of this army. Right, surely he owes me at least to come out and talk to me face to face, but he sends this servant. And all he wants me to do is, is go dip in this dirty water. Surely these waters, the rivers of Damascus are way better. So here's the problem Naaman has. Because of his pride, he was bitter and closed off to what God wanted to do. And we know that he had pride in his heart because he was self-focused and he had an attitude centered on what he thought he deserved. Those are always indicators of pride, right? When it's all about me and when I'm just consumed with what I think I deserve, that pride is at work. And sometimes it's manifested as arrogance. Sometimes it's manifested as insecurity. But either way, it's the world's all about me and it's what I deserve. And because of this pride, Naaman was shut off to what God wanted to do. And, and God's got to reveal it. So he says, shouldn't I just go to these rivers in Damascus that are so much cleaner? See, Naaman's only seeing this from an earthly human perspective. He can't see the spiritual work that God is doing behind the scenes. He doesn't see that God could just in a moment heal him without any action on his part. And he's looking at the Jordan River. And if you were to go to Israel today, and I hope that all of you would get an opportunity to do that one day, you will discover that the Jordan River is actually just a, a dirty, muddy creek, really. And he's got these beautiful, clean rivers in Damascus. And really, he's not even just talking about the rivers. I mean, what he's ultimately saying is, my country is so much better than yours. We've got better leaders, better wisdom, better towns, better rivers. Everything about us is better. That's why we conquered you. Like, why would I want to do this here? I thought that there was something different about you. His pride is talking. And listen, pride will do the same thing to us. What will pride do in us? Well, number one, it'll prevent us from listening to the voice of God. Because pride will put us in a position where we have the audacity to say to God, I know better. And isn't that really why we don't listen to God? I mean, we would never say that out loud and acknowledge it, but really deep in our heart, isn't that what we're saying when we don't listen to God? I know better. I mean, I've already got this figured out, God, or I'm figuring it out. I really don't need your help often because I don't like what you say and I know better. Pride will also get us into a place where we're not willing to repent. This is where we would say to God, it's not my fault. All right, clearly, God, you're not paying attention. You didn't see what they did. God, clearly, you didn't see, God, that what happened over here. 
You're not paying attention to the circumstances. God, it's not my fault. I'm doing the best I can. At least I didn't do what they did. And when we get into that place, you know what we cannot do is we cannot take responsibility for our own choices and actions. If you want to stunt your growth and maturity as a person and in faith, then refuse to take responsibility. And that's what pride does to us. A third thing that pride will do to us is it'll prevent us from obeying. And this is where we say, God, I got better things to do. I mean, ultimately, like we may not want to acknowledge that. We may not want to say it out loud, but God speaks, God calls. We feel God moving and leading us in a direction and we just don't want to do it. And we'll say, well, my job is more important or my comfort is more important or my pleasure is more important or my security is more important than what you're telling me to do. And that's what pride will do to us. And often in our lives, the loving, good, faithful God who wants to deal with the problems of our lives says to us, I need to deal with your pride first. And so God sends these servants to Naaman. And I love this aspect of the story. It wasn't a king. Uh, it, it wasn't an ambassador. Uh, it wasn't even Elisha. It was Naaman's servants. It's like God really wants to make clear here the lesson of humility. And so God sends the servants of Naaman to him and says, listen, you're missing it. If Elisha had come out and said, you know, I want you to, to turn around three times and, and, you know, drink this thing and do the hokey pokey, like wouldn't you have done that? And so Elisha finally, by the word of the servants, is willing to take a step a faith to investigate, to see what might be happening. And I think every single one of us, we need people in our lives like that. Who are willing to speak the hard truth, to break us out of our pride. Because what does pride do? Pride blinds us to the truth. And often we need that person who has the courage and the love to say, you're not seeing it clearly. And if you want that in your life, there's one thing I can, you can leave this room today and you can open yourself up to that kind of relationship and that's find people you love and trust and give them permission to be that person. Because I don't know about you, like I don't enjoy being that person sometimes. Like I don't wanna be like, hey, let me point out the problem in your life for you. We don't enjoy doing that. And so what if we gave permission to the people we love and trust around us to be that person? Would you speak truth into me when it's hard? And then I'll commit, I'm not gonna bite your head off. I'm not gonna cut the relationship off. I'll listen and receive it. And so God is beginning to humble Naaman so that he can experience the final lesson. And it's really the most important lesson of the three. It's the lesson for us as well. And it's this, that participation leads to praise. Finally, Naaman is willing to step into the Jordan. He dips himself seven times. He comes out. And I love the description. He comes out clean and rejuvenated, regenerated, not just healed of the skin disease, but he is made like his skin like a little boy again, like a young boy. And that is what God wants to do. He wants to bring regeneration. He wants to make us clean. And I love that word because isn't that what many of us experience with God? This clean feeling, this clean reality that God, you've made me new. 
Isn't that what many of us long for? God, I just want the dirt gone. I want the shame gone. I want the guilt gone. God, I want the weight gone. Lord, would you clean me, my heart, my mind, my soul? And have you ever experienced that with God? Maybe in a moment of prayer or a moment of of confession or a moment of worship where really the only word that would describe it is that your heart is made clean and you're rejuvenated and regenerated, new life. That's what God does for Naaman. And it get to this point finally where Naaman experiences this healing, this move of God. And in verse 15, this is what Naaman says. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. In other words, Yahweh is the only true God and he is God. And he was a God that I needed to discover was true and reality. He was a God that needed to move in my life. He was a God that that I needed before I knew I needed it. He was a God I was looking for before I knew what I was looking for. And this is the one true God and I'm gonna praise this God. Later he says to Elisha, I will make burnt offerings to no other God but Yahweh. And how, how did he get to that place? How is it he came to a point where he said, now I know it's because he was willing to participate in what God was doing. Up until the moment where he was willing to step into that muddy water, he was blocked off from seeing the reality of God. But the very moment he said, okay, I'm gonna participate in, in this thing and what I'm being told to do, then he was moved to a place of faith and praise. So here's the thing, you, do you wanna hear God's voice with more certainty? Do you wanna see God more clearly? Then you gotta be willing to join in with what God is doing because we only have two choices. We can consistently do it our way and insist on doing it our way and experience either the same junk that we're experiencing now or maybe even worse, or we can take the scary step to say, God, I'm gonna join you in what you're doing and they're, we're gonna experience fruit on the other side. So how do we do that? Well, one of the things that we can do to join in with God is just pay attention and look around us and say, where is God moving? Where are people being changed? Where are people being saved? Where are people being healed? Where are people being comforted? Where are people loving one another and patient with one another and bearing with one another? Where do I see God doing things? And rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, just go join in where God is moving. See, God is not asking you to fabricate or manufacture anything. He just said, come follow me. So look and then join in. The second thing we can do is listen for God's voice and go ahead and make the decision today that when you hear God's voice, your answer is gonna be yes. God, you're calling me here? Yes. God, you're saying to stop doing this? Yes. God, you're calling me to trust you in this? Yes. I'm gonna make the decision today that when I hear your voice, I'm gonna follow through. But it has to be partnered with this this third element. And that's to look where God is revealing his truth and choose to believe. It can't be just my truth, what I want God to say. What is God revealing to me? And so that means I've got to spend time with him in prayer. I've got to get into his word. I've got to spend time in worship. I've got to be with other believers, faithful people of God, as we encourage and spur one another on and speak into one another's lives. I'm going to listen. I'm going to look. I'm going to pay attention. 
And I'm going to join in with God. And when I join in with God, I'll begin to hear God with certainty and see him more clearly. I don't know about you, but so many times in my life, I have said this statement. I just wish I could tell the difference between my own voice and the voice of the world and the voice of God. Anybody been in that position before? Yeah. You know, I want to know what God is saying. And so when I hear God speak, and it lines up with his word, and it's a blessing to others, and it seems to come from beyond me, I need to be able to take a step of faith so that I can be building faith, so that I can clearly see God and I can clearly hear God. So here's what I'm saying. If you want to see God more clearly, hear God with more certainty, you need to be able to step with God in faith even when you don't have all the answers. Maybe especially when we don't have all the answers. When I don't understand where it's going or what it's going to lead to or, or what it's going to cost me, but I know God is speaking to me, I'm going to follow him because I know on the journey, as I find myself in his presence, he will build faith in me. And then I will grow and grow and grow and it become easier and easier and easier to stay in step with God. See, ultimately, I think it comes down to this. As I look at the life of Naaman, he stepped into those waters with a lot of uncertainty and little to no understanding. But he was willing to step into the waters. He was willing, willing to take an act of faith to see where it might lead. He experiences this move of God, this healing of God. And as he did that, he moved himself. He became a man of praise, of worship, of trust, of faith, of honoring God. And from that moment on, he made a commitment. He said, I will worship no other God, but this God. Was this the end of all of Naaman's problems? Absolutely not. He was living in a foreign nation with foreign gods, serving a king who served foreign gods. It was not going to be easy for him. But he made a, a decision in that moment. He predetermined that I will worship this God alone. Even before I see what God's gonna do next, I'm gonna worship this God alone. And it just, God has been speaking this truth to me so deeply and I just wanna offer it to you, maybe the Lord will speak, is that we need to get to a place in our lives where we worship God for who he is even before we see what he does. God is faithful and good and loving and he moves in our lives and his, his kindness draws us to him, certainly. And we praise him because he's a good and faithful God, but ultimately we praise him because of his character that leads to those things that he does. And I can't worship God only when he does what I want him to do in the way I want him to do it when I want him to do it. That's manipulation, not worship. I praise him because he's God. I praise him because of what he's already done. I praise him because he is Lord, he is savior, he is creator of all. Not just because he does what I want him to do. What if I, what I want him to do is not what I really need to happen in my life? Are you willing to, to take that posture with God and say, Lord, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it all. I don't know where it's leading. I don't know if you're gonna do what I want you to do but you're God and you're faithful and you're good. And I know this truth and it's become a foundation of my life over the last several years. As I move into uncertain future, I remember that the past provision of God is the very best indicator of his future faithfulness. 
And I know who he is. And I'll worship him as I step into that unknown. And we've got to be willing to do that together. So I don't know this morning what for you is your problem, your pain, your predicament that's got you in this place where you're just saying, I'm just this. But I know that there's a God who was and who is and who will be faithful and true. And I wanna invite you this morning to bring that problem, to bring that pain, to bring that predicament to the God who loves you. I said, God, I got this thing and I don't know what's gonna happen, but I just, I don't know how you're gonna answer. I don't know how you're gonna move, but I can't box you in with my pride and my expectations and my ego. I'm gonna lay that down and I'm gonna offer it to you and I'm gonna trust you, Lord. I'm bringing this to you. But then I want you to take another step as you bring your problems to your God, our faithful one, true God, I also want you to bring God to your problems. Because don't we sometimes like we elevate, we inflate, we just magnify our problems as if they're just like this great big thing. What I want you to do is I want you to go to that great big thing and I want you to say, you see how big my God is? You see how powerful He is? How loving, how faithful, how present my God is? You're nothing compared to my God. And tell your problems who your Savior is. And then you might find yourself in this position, and it might be for a lot of us today, where you're in a position of waiting. Anybody in a position of waiting this morning? You're waiting for God to answer a prayer. You're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to show up. How do you do that? Do you just give up? Do you just collapse? Do you be like, well, I can't do it? No, we wait actively. And here's what that means. As you keep doing the last thing God told you until He gives you the next thing. Keep being faithful in the moment of waiting and then keep being faithful when God shows up. And one of the things that that looks like is while we're waiting, we praise God. We praise Him because we can honestly say, Lord, I don't really even know what you're going to do, but I know it's good because I know who you are and I'll praise you because of who you are. And maybe, just maybe, like Naaman, as he stepped into that muddy water, maybe as you take a step of faith toward God, God will begin to position you to see His faithfulness. And He'll justify you from a place of pride and brokenness and the walls up, maybe of arrogance, maybe of insecurity. And He'll position you to a humble place of obedience, even if it doesn't mean that there's understanding, just faithful obedience results are up to God. And you'll have peace and you'll have joy. You'll have hope. The things that only God can give when we allow ourselves to be in that place. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna pray for me and I'll pray for you. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing another song. And I have a very simple prayer. I cannot pray for you to have understanding of all the things, or answers to all the things, or even resolution to all the things. But I can pray that you have a faith, that you trust God enough to step where He's calling you to step. Because I believe 
as you step where God's calling you to step and you find yourself with God, you'll discover that the power is in the presence and not just the process. And that might set you completely free. So let me pray for you, pray for me. God, we thank you and we love you. We're so grateful, not only for what you do, but for who you are, because your character, God, is the directive of all the things you do. You love us because you are loving. You are faithful to us because you are faithful. God, you are gracious to us because you are grace. You speak truth because you are truth. You can't help but to be who you are. And Lord, we worship you because of who you are. Lord, God, Savior, Creator. Many of us right now, Lord, are in a place of waiting We've got a problem, we've got a pain, we've got a predicament. And it's so easy to come at it with our ego. And we've got our ideas about what you should do and when you should do it and how you should do it. Father, give us the faith to just lay all that down with humility and just say, God, whatever it is you wanna do, I trust that it's right and good and I give myself to it and I'm taking a step of faith toward you. God, that's a big courageous step, Lord, but it's a step we need to take. And so Holy Spirit, come, revive, renew us right now. Speak clearly. God, initiate a move in us. Give us faith to take the step, to get into the muddy waters of faith, Lord, and trust you. Because we know you're gonna show up on the other side. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.